EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of EST. My name's Josh, and I'm glad that you're here listening in with us. Mike and Sam are out today, and we have uh, Carl Vaders on the show with us. He is the small church guy, and um, kind of makes a it makes it known uh, that he's a defender of the small church, which is something that has always been encouraging to me. Carl, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. I'm getting over the flu that's been going around, but other than that, I'm fine. It is flu season. Uh, some people are saying that's why Tom Brady did not shake the Eagles quarterback's hand after the after the game, because it's flu season, you know? Oh, you I'm think sure that's, that's all it was. Yeah, there's never, any, yeah. never anything other than that to it. I think I, I'm going to go with that. I'm sure yeah, Dean totally. and Sierra would, would agree with us. But, I mean, I've as a Cowboys fan, we've got other theories on why that happened. But, you know. Yeah, well, sometimes that's all you're left with is theories, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it comes to the New England Patriots. How's the yeah. weather over there in, in beautiful Southern Cal? Uh, it's perfect. It's always perfect un- until it's not. Right, right. It's I've heard that. Really bad. Yeah. Yeah. We can't seem to get warm again here in, in Dallas. I feel like for the last, I don't know, several months, I've just been cold. All the time I'm cold. My feet are cold. My hands are cold. So uh, hopefully it'll warm up a little bit. I know our brothers up north and you know anybody up in the Minneapolis area watch the Super Bowl, they're, they're saying... It is already warm here in Dallas, but and I'm cold. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about them. Yeah, so it's really hard for us to complain about the cold, either of us. I guess. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we're Americans. We can find ways to complain about anything. Absolutely. So, you're you're you you um you're big on the small church, and um how how did that come about? Why is that? Why did that become your stick? What 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 birthed that passion in you? Yeah. Well, I tried to build a big one, and it didn't work. I guess is. <laughs> <laughs> Really kind of the main thing. Yeah, I, I've been, I just celebrated 25 years pastoring in Orange County, California, which is the place that, according to Rick Warren in the Purpose Driven Church, he researched the entire country and found that Orange County, California was the best place to build a megachurch, uh, mm. at least back when he started. It's, that's probably changed since then. But there's a lot of people probably. around, you know, we've got tons of great churches around from, from Rick Warren's Saddleback church to the original Calvary Chapel, the original Vineyard, uh, Crystal Cathedral, which many people say is the original megachurch, to um, mm-hmm. Fuller Institute, where the Church Growth Institute started, and Angelus Temple. And I mean, it's the land of not just big churches, but where big church movements have started, uh, yeah. all within a 45-minute drive of my front door. And so I came to a small church about 25 years ago and really expected to you know, build a, a, a great and large church because great and large in my head were synonymous because that's what I thought I was reading in all of the church growth uh, movement stuff. And uh, and it, it didn't happen. Um, we hit the 200 barrier. We busted through it once. And I was miserable on the other side of it because it, all of a sudden I was using my rancher gifts, but I'm a shepherd at heart. And 
Um, mm-hmm. Because of that, it kind of collapsed beneath me. I almost left ministry. And then in that whole season of trying to figure out what happened, we had this explosive growth and then it collapsed and there was no scandal. There was no split. What's going on here? And I had to start asking myself some serious questions and looking around and I discovered uh, I'm a small church pastor by gifting and by temperament. And so I had to say, well, then what does that look like? What does a great small church look like? And it was really, really hard to find information to help me about that. Yeah, it was really tough. I mean, all kinds of stuff about breaking through the 200 barrier and so on. And all of it's good and all of it's helpful and all of it's right. But there's just this big gap. What about what do we do before we break through? And maybe we'll never break through. Maybe we'll stay small. And that's the place of the kingdom that God has given us. How do we do that really, really well? And it's it's been hard to find, but it's been great when I've been able to find those things. I guess when something's harder to find, when you do find it, it means that much more to you, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I started writing down the things as I was learning them. We started practicing them as we were learning them. And so I've just made a practice of writing it out in the blog and a book and now a second book coming out just to help other small church pastors like myself to figure out what does it mean to be a great small church that is not settling for less by recognizing uh, our place in the kingdom of God. I'm probably going to say this wrong, but one of the things I've heard you say before is that you're kind of, you're passionate about innovative churches from a small church perspective. That's is that the, that's how you the say exact that? quote. You didn't misquote it at all. Yeah. In, I, innovative ministries I've always liked, I really liked yeah, that yeah. thing. And that's part of the, part of the challenge that small churches have to overcome is in a lot of people's minds, small church simply equals backwards and, and, and regressive and so on. Um, but what I'm discovering is there are a whole lot of small churches out there that are called to be small, that are leaning into that, and that are being very innovative in the way they do ministry. They're just doing it in a smaller context uh, than the larger churches are doing it. And there are some really wonderful ways of being creative and innovative and forward-looking while still uh, doing it within a small church context. Yeah. And, and there, I guess an argument could be made that when you're in a smaller context, whether it's a small business or a small church or, you know, those sort of uh, kind of settings, then innovation is a necessity. You have to do it innovatively because, you know, that's the only resource you have is creativity and you don't have money in the finances to just kind of do things the way they used to be. Yeah. So I don't see why the small church wouldn't be a, uh, you know, just a hotbed of innovation and, and yeah, those sort yeah. of things. I mean, we certainly can be. I don't think we have been nearly to the degree that we could no. be. I think a lot of our reputation for being stale and old school is well earned. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the one who's sitting here going, you know, that somehow being small is better than being big, not by a long shot. We've, we've earned a lot of the, the negative press that we've gotten. Um, but we, but some of that is because we have not been resourced. We've not been told you can be good when you're small. Um, you know, simple things like they say the small business dry is the engine that drives uh, the American economy and probably most economies in most of the nations of the world. So why can't the small churches do that? And in fact, in places in the world where the church is actually growing as a percentage of the population, which is not true in the U.S., and sometimes we've got that, we think the U.S. is everything. Um, but in places mm-hmm. in the world where the church is actually growing as a percentage of the population, which, quite frankly, I think is the only church growth that matters. Uh, we're actually bringing right. new people into the kingdom. 
uh, in those places where it's actually growing as a percentage of the population, it's happening almost exclusively by the multiplication of small churches and not by the gathering together of Christians into larger groups. So outside wow, the U.S., that is where the innovation in the church is happening, in small groups. Inside the U.S., because we're entering a post-Christian era, the rules are a little different. And so we see a lot of churches slipping and getting smaller and becoming less relevant. And so in our head, that is the picture of small church. But internationally, that's not the picture of the small church. It's the opposite. Now, a number of our listeners are small church, either pastors or staff members there, and they're looking to kind of bring health and, and vitalization to their context. What would you say, just as maybe a way of relating, what do you say, what do you see as the, the, the greatest difficulties for the smaller yeah, I think church? Three of them. One um, is the mental game that we've got to get past that says, I can't be effective until we're bigger. Um, I call that the grasshopper myth. That was the title of my first book from when the spies said, uh, who went into the promised land said, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. And too many of us have this grasshopper mentality that I can't do great ministry until we get bigger. I think that's the first one. The second one is we're not uh, being resourced well. Um, so we, there, there's, like I said, a lot of material about breaking through 200, but very little about what innovation looks like under 200. Um, and then I think the third one is we've got to start, we got to realize that we can be creative, uh, under 200. We often look at the larger places that have massive resources and we see the creativity and the, the new things that come out and we think, okay, I can't afford that sound system. I can't afford that lighting system. I can't afford to hire staff. But what you just said is really true. Because we can't afford those things, we have to think one level deeper. We have to start being creative and innovative. So if we can, one, get over our grasshopper mentality, two, um, start resourcing each other with better ideas, and then three, start thinking creatively outside of the usual resources, then I think we can really start moving forward and being creative and innovative in our smaller churches. I know the last time that we were just kind of chatting about things, I was trying to talk you into doing a podcast and telling you, like, you should totally do a podcast, but uh, it's not there yet. But you do have a number of resources. You talked about the smaller church isn't very well resourced. You are kind of helping with that problem. You saw a need. You're meeting it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your blog. What, how did, what yeah, was the well, genesis um, of that? When I was going through this season of trying to figure out what a healthy small church looks like, I kept... You know, it was hard to find. I would, I would discover this or that somewhere kind of in the, the hidden corner. And I was teaching it to my own staff. And I was actually getting to the point where I was kind of whining to my wife. Why hasn't somebody written a book about, you know, how to do small church well? And finally, after whining to her three or four times, she said, mm -hmm. well, why don't you write a book? And I said, I'm this unknown small church pastor. Who's going <laughs> to read a book by me? And she says, well, who else is going to write a book about how to do small church well, other than a small church pastor, and two, how many famous ones do you know? Exactly. So I was like, you know, you, you, you've got the yeah. passion and you're discovering this stuff, so do it. So I put it all together. I wrote this book called The Grasshopper Myth, self-published. I didn't even call a publisher. I knew nobody would be interested in it. Um, and uh, I expected in my lifetime <laughs> to sell, you know, a couple hundred copies maybe, but it started going crazy. And then I took the leftovers from that didn't quite fit in the book and I started my own blog. And soon Christianity Today noticed that I was writing regularly. They called me and asked if I would write for them. So now for the last three years, I've been blogging for Christianity Today. My first book continues to sell. 
And now the second book is going to be coming out with Moody. Um, and they're doing, they're, they're seeing it as one of their, um, you know, strong books for this year that they really want to get behind this. They, they recognize, as have other publishers, I've talked to several, are now recognizing, yeah, this is a big miss by us. We have not been resourcing the small church well, and we see the need for it, and they have a real passion to put that out there. So there is a growing movement, um, uh, even among, you know, publishers and, um, you know, organizations. I mean, these are these are large, significant organizations within the evangelical church, Moody Press, and Christianity Today, that are saying we want to put resources in the hands of small church pastors as as much as we can. So that's a real positive thing that we're seeing, and that's kind of my story and how I ended up being where I am today. Now we'll share it again later at the end of the the broadcast. But what how, what is how does yeah, somebody the read your blog? What's the address? dot com. That's my website. And all I do there is I do an opening paragraph or two on each of the blog posts, and then you click there and it brings you over to ChristianityToday.com. But it's easier to start at NewSmallChurch.com just because the URL for it with my name attached to Christianity Today is just too long for you to remember. So the easiest starting point is NewSmallChurch.com. Right. NewSmallChurch.com. Okay, great. I ask that now because I, I have a bad habit. It's like when somebody walks up to me and says, hey, could you announce this at the end of the service? And I tell them yes. At that moment, I fully intended to I announce that. I just, you know, by the time I'm done with the sermon, I, I, I forget. So. Close with Q&A, and I ended up going too long. We never had Q&A. So now I start the sessions with Q&A mm -hmm. just to be sure. <laughs> That's hilarious. When people do come up before service, they're like, can you make sure you announce this? I say yes, but as long as you are okay with I will probably forget. Yeah. I'm going to write it right here, but I will probably forget. So um, that that kind of gets me off the hook a little bit, and I've gotten better at it. You talked a little bit about your book, The Grasshopper Myth, and that resource out there. And I do want to jump on and kind of talk a little bit about your upcoming book. And uh, just for those who are listening, we're going to have a way for you to get your hands on a free copy of that. So you're going to want to keep listening and 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 um, participate in that little competition that we'll do. But if 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 somebody wasn't if, let's say they've read your books and your blogs and stuff what are some other resources out there maybe by other authors or bloggers or something that you've seen that you think is sort of a, a decent resource for people yeah. who are thinking small church not in a negative way yeah, there are a handful thinking of, and seeing of this as a strength and innovation. There. um uh, 200 churches.com started a podcast i think the same month that i started blogging and we discovered each other fairly soon uh, but 200churches.com, uh, Jeff Katie and Johnny Craig do that, and it's a weekly podcast. They have great interviews, all from a small church perspective, and they call themselves 200 Churches because they're, they're for churches that are of 200 people, give or take 200, is the way they put it. Um, so they are really, really, really good. They're, the, they're mm -hmm. my most highly recommended podcast for small churches. Um, I also recommend um, anything by Dave Jacobs. Dave Jacobs has a great okay. Facebook group uh, called Small Church Pastor. And he regulates it well so that it doesn't descend into politics or theological bickering. It is simply small church pastors there to help each other and encourage each other. And Dave has just written his uh, second book um, uh, entitled Naked Man Running, um, subtitle 100 Ideas That Work in a Small Church. And mm. it's, it's an amazing resource. It's designed almost like an encyclopedia <laughs> of ideas. So it's arranged by... Uh, different subject matter. And so if you're interested in looking at the pastor's personal life or um, the pastoral skills and those kinds of things, 
He's got 100 different ideas. They're all gold. Dave, is, Dave has, has some really good ideas. So those would be my first two resources that I'd go to would be anything from Dave Jacobs and the 200churches.com podcast. In, in all of your digging around, trying to find resources for small churches, what has been the most, uh, what's been the biggest challenge in trying to unearth this? The biggest as far challenge as in your trying concern, to find in your own heart, in your resources own for small churches? Yeah, it, yeah it, just it's, kind of dealing um, with this topic of innovative it, it actually, small churches. Actually, in the new book, uh, Small Church Essentials, I, I talk about it. Um, I open one chapter with this sentence, no one is hiding anything from you. And then I had this own, my own little internal conversation of, uh, as I've been searching for all these things for years for small church, small churches, I keep having to remind myself, no one's hiding anything from you. Uh, but, but I feel like a, a, a pig trying to dig for truffles. Um, from what I've heard, these things called truffles are very, you know, d highly desired by huh. people who love to eat and they're hard to find and pigs are the ones who dig for them and they got to go through all kinds of mess and all kinds of garbage to find them. So once they find them, they're of great value. So I've got to constantly remind myself and I'm constantly reminding other small church pastors when they get frustrated that they can't find the resources, when they get frustrated that their denomination may not be stepping up in ways that they feel like they should. I have to keep reminding them, nobody's intentionally trying to hurt us. Nobody is hiding anything from us. This is simply a big gap that we've all missed. I missed it for years. I thought <laughs> the only way to be of value was for my church to get bigger. bigger. So mm. I'm as guilty of denying the value of small church as anybody is. So that's one of the big challenges is as you're digging and as it's hard to find and as you feel frustrated in trying to figure all of this out, you got to back up and you can't get into the blame game. Because that's really very easy to do. It can, we, it can be easy to start feeling sorry for ourselves and all that stuff. And I just refuse to whine. I refuse to settle. I refuse to feel sorry for myself. Uh, we just have to look at this and go, okay, this is what we've got. Let's figure out how to do the best thing we possibly can with it. Would you mind sharing an, a, an episode or a story in which you became frustrated um, and, you know, kind yeah, of almost I mean, bailed the, on this idea the or whole thing for thought me, about bailing? The story that kind of led me to this was one where I almost quit ministry. I'd come to this church 25 years ago. There were 30 people on a big Sunday. Um, about seven or eight years later, we were able to, we'd been able to help the church become healthy again. And we were running about 75 or so, uh, another eight or nine years. So at about year 15, we were healthy. We were strong. We were running about 150, 160. And, you know, that's when all the church growth conferences called me and said, Hey, Carl, we want you to come and teach our church growth how you grew from 30 to 150 in just 15 years. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't have one of those stories. However, right at that point, yeah. um, I, I found a, um, a local junior high school that had a larger room. We have a very, very tiny room in our church. So because we were hitting about 150 to 180, and that was filling our room twice on a Sunday, and we had no parking because we have very little parking to begin with, I found this Cafe Gym Natura Librarium, you know, that multipurpose room that we as yeah exactly and it seated about 400 and um <laughs> yeah, we tore everything education. down every sunday brought it over and in about 20 months we grew from about 200 to about 400 in 20 months uh yeah it was going real well and then in less than half wow. of that time we dropped from 400 down to actually i don't even know how small we got because it's fun to count when you're growing um yeah, it got to the point where I said, stop, stop telling me the numbers because I know everybody's name. But we were stop. well under one. Stop when it gets smaller. Yeah. So in a three-year span, we went from mm -hmm. 200 to 400 right. to under 100 wow. without a scandal and without a split. 
And that was when I nearly just gave up on ministry entirely because I'm looking around going, I didn't do anything wrong here. I followed the rules. I did everything they told me to do. I switched from shepherd to rancher. I switched from pastor to manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I did the 80% rule. Once the facility was 80% full, we found a bigger facility. I did all the right things, or so I thought. And, and that, was the, that was the biggest point of frustration for me, and I almost left ministry uh, over that. And probably if I had another way of knowing how to pay the bills, I probably would have left ministry. I just don't have any other marketable skill. Um, yeah, that was part of the, that was part of the reality for me. I had to stick with it because it's all I've got. And and right, no, yeah, great you and me both, brother. But since then, I haven't felt frustrated or wanting to give up as hard as it's been defined. Because sure. even though the treasures are hard to find when they do come, because they're so rare and because they've been able to help so many other people, it really has been an encouraging process to continue to discover this stuff and share it with others. Well. And I think that's real encouraging because your testimony and the story at which you've lived and, and your experiences are encouraging on a great scale and your influence is helping, you know, countless people. When you add up all these little small churches that are being um, small are benefiting from the resources that you're providing there. Let's get a little bit yeah, into your new book. What's it called? It is. And it's Moody, Moody Publishers, and it's going to be released on the yeah, 6th of March. I think, right, you can pre-order it right now, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> right. And so you can go online there or ask your device in your home and um, order that for you. And so yeah, uh, Small Church kind of Essentials, like what's kind of the premise? How's here's, it different than uh, how we gra- felt about small Matt. churches? Here's how we need to change how we feel about small churches, both from a church leadership standpoint of from seminaries and conferences right to the heart of the small church pastor themselves. So how do we change our heart and our mind about that? And then since I wrote the book, I've been speaking at a lot of conferences. And every time I go, I learn more and more as I talk to other small church pastors and they've been practical tools. So small church essentials isn't as much a philosophical statement as it is. Okay. Now that we realize small churches can be great. How do we get there? What do we do? And so it starts from um, some basic premises of how we know a small church can be great and then putting some significant tools in people's hands. The, the probably the, the, the main point of leverage for the entire book is something that I call the law of large numbers. Actually, I don't call it. It's, it's a sociological phenomenon that's called that. And the law of large numbers states that the larger the group, the more predictably they behave and the smaller the group, the less predictably they behave. So that's, like any time any major polling organization takes a poll, they use the law of large oh, wow. numbers to figure out what's going on. So they realize they have to have what's called a minimum sample size for their poll to be valid. If you poll 30 people, you can't add four zeros and say this is how the entire nation feels about something. You don't have a big enough sample size. You've got to have somewhere around four or 5,000 people ask the right questions in the right ways and then you can just add zeros and you you can guess how the entire nation feels about something within a two or three point margin of error. But only if you have a minimum sample size, because once the group is large, then the individual quirks get mm. kind of pushed off to the side in favor of the general feeling of the group if the group is large. So in large churches, if you're a pastor in a church of 2,000 and you're hearing somebody who pastors a church of 20,000 about how they do church, you can pretty much drop a zero on everything they say and just do it in your church of 2000 because you've got a minimum sample size. The large group functions the same. But once you drop down to 200, 
you got you don't you're well way below the minimum sample mm -hmm. size, and now individual people factor in much more highly, and so you can't just drop a zero and do everything that the Church of Two Thousand does. It changes. Exactly. Exactly, because right. It's Nor a can you just look at another people. church of two hundred. Whereas, because you your two, two samples are twenty thousand different. Certainly, there are individuals in the group, and certainly there are cultural differences. But there's a mm -hmm. lot more similar between two groups of twenty thousand than there are between two groups of two hundred or two groups of fifty. So that's a big part of the challenge for the small church pastor: is not only do we have to know the universal church principles, wow. and not only do we have to know the small church essentials. But we've also then got to figure out that whole unique part that I call the why is my church mm -hmm. so weird part. And the smaller your church is, the bigger your weird is because every individual factors in <laughs> much more big, large to the whole, which is why small churches have to function more on relationships than on systems. What's uh, what's when you you're going around? You talk to a lot of small church pastors. You, oh, you talk boy, to a lot of so uh, weird church pastors. What's the weirdest thing that you've heard? To think of something that I can do without giving away who it is. Uh, there was one church that, um, uh, I mean, in this this happened 20 years ago, but there was one church that talked about they had a guy who, um, he was just whenever anybody was praying for each other, he always liked to pray for the women too much and always made them feel uncomfortable, and yeah, just. And, you know, not, it's, it, it was just a, a wrong thing. Really? So kind of close prayer? every time this guy was in church, they had to adjust the way they did their prayer time around this guy who was just a little too friendly mm. and a little too handsy. And so the pastor, you know, didn't wait too long. And so the pastor kept putting mm. up walls and walls until finally the pastor had to physically remove the man when he was mm. about to go and pray for another woman that he knew would now make this woman uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, in, in, in a, in a large church, uh, when there are people who act strangely like that and, wow. and uh, or who act inappropriately, um, there are systems in place to handle that typically. Or you don't even have the the intimate prayer time at the front of the altar in a large church. It just that that atmosphere simply isn't there in a Sunday morning in a big church. And so, in a you know a big church pastor, they have that kind of you know they may have a couple awkward folks in the church, but that just means they get a weird email once a week. Uh, whereas in the small church, somebody like that can ruin a Sunday for the church or for other people in the church. So we as small church pastors really have to step right. up and do make some very difficult decisions at times that are that feel very personal to people. But oh, yeah. we have to do it in order to protect the flock. Um, so that's one of the big challenges that small church pastors have that, quite frankly, big church pastors don't have because of the size of the room. It changes the dynamic of how people interact. Right. And, you know, in those larger settings... You've got multiple ministers, multiple yep. leaders who are all kind of taking a, a, a small piece of the weird situation and kind of addressing it and handling it. But in a lot of our settings, it's just and us, you know, right we're, we're, we're the one that they're going to come talk yeah, to and tell that really awkward yeah. story to every week or something along those lines. So um, that's fascinating. Yeah. Exactly. All right. My, you know, I've, my experience is usually it's right after I'm done. Pre I'm exhausted. And somebody comes up and just tells me this long story about something. And, and, you know, 90% of the time I I'm, I'm compassionate towards it. I do care, but sometimes in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I don't care right now, right now. I just don't care. But you know, that's small church pastoring. Let me ask you. So the book is written. It's off to the publisher. Is there anything that's not in the book that you have since discovered or well, you wish um, you could have I, I don't know shoehorned in or maybe it didn't it fit exactly. In, there's a bunch What's of one or two things, things that you wish were in the book that aren't. of how to get a, a church healthy. Um, 
I'm working on uh, ideas for a church turnaround. That was one thing that I felt like deserved a separate book. So maybe in a year mm -hmm. or two, because we're just beginning the process of this, we'll have an idea of how to do a, a church turnaround. This one is really just some basic ideas, and they can be used in a church that is having difficulty. And we talk a little bit about that. But there's a whole big uh, area of ministry, particularly for small churches, that is really challenging. How do you take, particularly an existing church, and which fits, you know, the theme of this entire podcast, the established church that has been around for years? Uh, my perspective in where I live is that I've got this tiny little building with a big population around. Mm -hmm. And that has particular dynamic in trying to build a healthy small church. But I'm running into now uh, the more typical challenge for a small church pastor, especially in established churches, is they've got a large building that used to be the center of activity for their entire small town. And now they've got 20 people in a building that seats 400 every Sunday, and they can't even pay the bills to keep the building mm -hmm. heated or cooled or maintained or deferred maintenance. And so part of what I'm working on right now and some of the main information that I'm trying to collect is from pastors in those situations, mm -hmm. how they're managing it, how they're working on turning around a situation where the building that used to be a blessing is really now becoming more of a, of a curse than a blessing to them. And how does that turn around? So it is, I, I don't have enough answers for that yet to have put it in the book, but that's a big part of what we're researching right now and trying to help, trying to figure out and trying to get information for. And I think all of our listeners just perked up a little bit because that is that is the that's the choir you're talking to right there. Not yeah. only our listeners, but myself included. Wow. I came to this church and, you know, it was less than 100, but in a sanctuary that can seat 600, 58,000 square feet. And for for those people with a debt of one point three million, the debt alone was something that we couldn't pay. And then you've got, you know, one air. We've got 13 air conditioning units. One of them cost fifteen thousand dollars. And. You know, and so when these things start piling up, it, it's very hard to turn that ship, even if, let's say, you've got the right polity, you've got exegetical preaching, you've got all of the things that make up a healthy church, at least in my opinion, all those things yeah. that make up a healthy church, even if all of that's there, the building sometimes is the is the anchor and, and trying to turn those things around. And so I I, I cannot wait to read uh Read your third yeah, one. Let's books. see. Let's let's get five that out there. But let's talk how yeah. some of our listeners can win. We're going to give away how many? Did you say five, five free. All right, small church essentials. We're going to give five of these away. The book does not release for another couple of weeks, but when it's released, I'll get my hands on those five and I'll shoot them out to some of our listeners. Uh, Carl has on his website, and we're going to link link this in our Twitter account, also on our show notes and our Facebook page as well. Um, he's That's got sort it. of a, it's like, you know, it's print a out white name pronounce says, hello, my name is, and then you, go to, you put your name and it says, my name I'm a small church pastor. Although you just added to the bottom of it and I'm a small church pastor. So you put your name on that and then you take a picture of yourself holding that mm -hmm. and, um, send it in as Josh tells you to, and we'll send out five to Perfect. whichever, whichever way, uh, uh, however you're going to decide that Josh, I guess. We're going to randomly draw it. We've done this before on similar shows and stuff. And so we just give everybody a number and then randomly, you know, put some generator there and we'll, we'll randomly draw the five people. So go to the link that we provide in the show notes on the Twitter page, on the Facebook page, print that out, fill it out, put your name in there, take a selfie, a picture, you know, somewhere creative, try to be creative with this, you know, in front of your pulpit or in your small church office, 
I was talking to another pastor just a few minutes ago and um, we were on video, you know, and he says, you're in your office. I'm in my office. And he was sitting in his truck. So that's just kind of how sometimes it works, you know, for bivocational pastors. And so, uh, so yeah, do that. Take that picture, post that. We're going to randomly draw five people and shoot you a free sure. copy um, of Carl's small brand new book. Carl, Facebook how can people connect with you, you more should they I, want I to drop a, online or elsewhere? Or anytime I'm on a podcast like yours, I'll promote it there. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, uh, my Twitter mm-hmm. and Instagram account are just at Carl Vader's. And that's uh, K-A-R-L-V-A-T-E-R-S. So at Carl Vader's Instagram or Twitter, and you can follow me there and I'll follow you back. Yeah, um, actually, really. And I know you do a number of uh, conferences and speaking engagements. So What's a, sure are there a couple coming up that you're, you're going to be at? That one. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's going to be fun. I, I mentioned that just because I'm looking forward to it so much. But yeah, I've got about 20 conferences <laughs> oh, coming thousands. up in the next year. We're pastors, so and, um, everybody listens. Yeah. Anybody who wants to at any time, if you go to newsmallchurch.com, there is a conferences tab. Yeah. But I'm coming up soon. I'm going to be in uh, Santa Monica, California. Morton, Illinois, with uh, Rural Home Missionary Association. I'm going to be in Quebec and in Nova Scotia and Canada, Great Falls, Minnesota, uh, Columbus, Georgia, just outside of Portland, Washington, Seattle, Washington, Springfield, Missouri, all coming up over the next few months. Um, but yeah, if you go to smallchurch.com, conference tab. Yeah. Man, right. All over the place. A lot of um, opportunities. Yeah. So check out that website. And as always, make sure that you rate, review us on iTunes and Google Play. It helps out the show quite a bit. And uh, we do appreciate you listening. And we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Google Play or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.